Oh, we beat Kathy. Oh, uh -oh. we beat Kathy back. Kathy slow. I mean, I barely made it, but hey. Yeah, I kind of started at about like 20 seconds early, so it's okay. You oh. live. I mean, I'm fine. Are you fine, fine? Or are you fine, 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 fine? Uh, just fine. Just fine? So let's not get out of hand here. <laughs> we are a little early, guys. I kind of started to stream a little bit early. Uh, Kathy is not back yet from getting her alcohol. Usually she's the first one back. But well, luckily I know that it's episode 84. Are we on episode 84? Sweet. Guys, thanks for joining us for episode 84. Uh, today we are going to talk about terrain. Not only how it fits within your game, how it fits within certain games. The um, decision of Privateer Press to remove hills and elevation from the game. Um, and you'll be surprised, John. I don't have a lot of media this week. I oh, am surprised. I also shocking. don't have a lot of media this week. Uh, but I do have a few things I need to talk about. Um, and also a pretty good announcement about More Than Dice. Um, also, uh, if you are in the chat channel and you have um, received something from us this week, I think there was two people that got uh, their uh, freebies to the, that we gave away. Uh, if you got those, you should have a little card that is a... Um, a 3D print of our logo. Um, we're going to be giving those out uh, to people, and it'll be one of our rewards on our patron. Uh, it'll be a little bit different. We want to see what y'all do with them. We want to see what you paint them up, because they're PLA plastic. You can paint them up. Do what you need. Show us. Do like a gone to so-and-so somewhere with, you know, more than dice, and take a picture of it. And I think that'd be cool. It would be cool. Um, so I think Moondoggy and someone else probably got one of those. I know that Carl, uh, I don't know if anybody saw what Carl got this week, uh, as a gift for me to him, I printed out him a dice box, uh, and the dice box, the lid was Nicolas Cage's face and the bottom of the dice box was Nicolas Cage's <laughs> face. And, awesome. uh, so of course he thoroughly enjoyed that, um, but he's also a really, really good friend of mine that I, uh, I'll do stuff like that because it's just how I am. Um, let's go ahead and go with uh, drinks. John, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am drinking uh, Jim Beam uh, Fire Whiskey with uh, Dr. Pepper. Th this time carefully measured out since I got a uh, jigger to measure out the uh, appropriate amount. So I don't just, you know, do it live. <laughs> apparently occasionally I make these things downright hostile alright Kathy what's you drinking tonight ginger ale because I already drank my gin you already drank your gin uh, I'm going with another bottle of uh, dragon's milk um, I bought two four packs as well I haven't drank any this week which is a surprise so I'm going to go with that um, I do know that we have one send off we need to do um, if nobody saw it I guess the um father from the ALF TV series passed away. Um, oh, yeah. I can't remember his name, and I'm going to do that, but I have John to do that for me, because I know he's looking that up right now to find out what his name is. But uh, the ALF TV I series... <laughs> uh, if everybody remembers, the ALF TV series was a long time ago, and uh, it was kind of a, a weird TV show about an alien that liked to eat cats that um, lived with a family. And, uh, it was, there was uh, very popular at the time. It was. With me. 
It was very popular. Uh, Max Wright. Yeah. Uh, I guess he had uh, he was uh, dealing with cancer, and um, at the end, it, it got him, and so he passed away this recently. So to uh, to him, to our fans, to everybody that watches and listens, you are greatly appreciated. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Um, before we get started, I'm going to switch over my camera, and we will watch uh, me make stupid mistakes on models. I mean, why should they be a different day? Yeah, not going to be. Um, I am working on a... Oh, I forgot to change the settings on the camera so it doesn't autofocus, but... Uh, Working on the uh, Brute Thrall from Conquest, which comes out uh, next week or this week. I just can't remember. Uh, the game comes out, and it will be out for people to buy and play, which I think is actually a pretty cool, good game. Uh, I did find out something about the models. Okay, now everybody was asking. It was like, why do they have these round bases, and they slide into the square bases? Because you play on these square you know, regiment formations. Mm-hmm. Um, they said the reason why you have a round base that goes into a square base, or whatever you know, four-sided base that they have is because when you're playing, if you have a model that moves over the edge of the base, you just turn the base instead of turning the square. Oh, okay. So, like, this one moves over the the blade of his weapon, goes over his base a bit, you just rotate the circle, and now you can still get flush and even with your opponent. Yeah, and that's still, a good idea. Plus, you can keep your formation even as guys die in case you have healing to bring them back. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and you just go, pink, and you're just done. Which I thought was an interesting, because um, there was the huge model, the Abomination, um, that they have. Uh, you, he, he, can, he can actually get over the base quite a bit. And so he, got, he was showing uh, uh, how to play on one of the, another channel. And he says, oh, well, I can't get in base base because my model's overlapping. And he just rotated the guy on the base and goes, eh, now you can. And they're like, okay, that's kind of cool. Um, so one of the things I'm going to do today is I'm going to try to finish doing the base on this guy. I'm going to do a brown base, uh, highlight it up a little bit, and then I want to do snow on him. I'm going to use the GW snow. Um, I don't want to get crazy with it. I just want to kind of put it in blotches around. Um, Can you kill your autofocus? Yeah, it's fine. It's really is, it, is it going crazy? Guys, it may crash the video, so hold on a second. Let me see if I can do that. I can see it going crazy. Um, let me see if I can do that. Stop going crazy, autofocus. You had one job. It's autofocus. You can't even do that one job right. <laughs> uh, let's see if I can change that up. Uh, Hashtag fire autofocus. But... Um, we are going... To, I'm going to try to do that. Um, TG Archon! Uh, oh, hey, Archeon. That's Adam. Adam. Let's see if I can do this without. And Crimson's here, too. Welcome. Crimson is here? What? Hey, Crimson. Uh, okay, so we'll take off the autofocus. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like... Uh... Seizure-inducing a little. Yeah, so here, <laughs> I'm going to put it where I commonly would. That's a good picture. You can see That's pretty good bad. there. Yeah, let me yeah. see if I can just... Watch us not talk so that we can watch... We can watch Gonzo play with the camera to make it look better. Fix well, the Kathy, settings. you know, we don't have to talk. We can just... 
Manamana. Manamana. In case you didn't notice, I did put up uh, a behind-the-scenes video recently of uh, what we do when we're getting ready for a show. What we do in the shadows. What we do in the shadows. And uh, I put it up on YouTube and on Facebook. And it is where we kind of test out the mics and get everything going to make sure everything sounds okay. Um, It is actually quite hilarious listening to John and Kathy make stupid remarks. We, we are not funny. Also, all of our remarks are intelligent. Yeah, whatever. Absolutely. So, um, I'm going to work on these two models and try to get this base done. And then I'm going to put some flock on the bottom of these walls uh, that I 3D printed for A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, the bushes? Those are solid walls. Um, oh, you know, the bushes look kind of cool. The, uh, the, the walls look like walls. walls. And then they got a stone wall. And then this is our uh, painted up walls that Kathy uh, had a conniption fit over. Oh, and you don't want to know what I thought those barricades. were just the plastic. Yeah. Oh. It's not appropriate. It was definitely not appropriate. Everybody, it, it, was, it was quite a humorous thing on my Facebook page. Uh, and then uh, the barricades. Uh, and each one of them has something different. These two walls... Actually, these three walls... look anything like bears. Do what? I said you can't fool me. They don't look anything like bears. Oh. Um, the, these three walls pretty much almost do the exact same thing, so they're not too much in it, but it also is cool to have different type of walls instead of just one static wall. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I've got to put grass on those walls. I'm going to try to finish this base. I'm going to do uh, dirt spatter and highlight that up with just some dry brushing. And then put a little bit of static grass and some snow. Um, and that's going to be about all I'm going to work on today. Um, Kathy, are you working on anything today? Uh, right now? No. Your drink? <laughs> She's working on that ginger. I, I, have, uh, I have paper and a pen in front of me so that I can take notes. Because every time I think of something to say, I forget what it is. <laughs> so now I'm going to write it down. <laughs> Um, so, guys, we're going to talk about terrain. We have covered terrain in the past. We have gone over a few things. Um, but last week, we kind of hit a hot button. The hot button came up about Privateer Press and um, how they're removing hills. Uh, and we wanted to bring up something about it. And we know that it can it kind of hit a sore spot with some people. Um, there were some other things that happened. But we wanted to cover it a little bit more in detail. And also cover it not only just... Hills in Privateer Press's game, but terrain and others, and how they can. What's what's the purpose of it? It's not just to look pretty, and it's not there just to, you know, cause a lot of problems with people trying to run tournaments because that's also another issue of terrain. Um, is that? But to kind of get a more of a big feedback. So we want to. I want to start off with. Uh, you mean exactly, Crimson? That's the reason why we want to talk about that. Well, actually, yeah, that, that that is part of the topic. Is is, it is flat terrain versus three D terrain? Yeah, uh, and there there's a bit of been a bit of uh, that's been contentious for a while. Yeah, uh, so. as everybody knows, War Machine and Horde, for the most part, uses two D terrain, um, and it is by choice. There is no thing that says that you have to use two D terrain. Everybody knows that. But by choice, because it, it makes it, and I'm talking from a tournament aspect right here, that a lot of it, tournament players like 2D terrain 
because it is easier to put models on, you can be more precise, so on and so forth. Well, allow me to retort. Yeah, but let, let me go. Well, John's going to take the casual aspect. I'm going to take the tournament aspect, and I'm we're gonna we're gonna talk about the reasons why. But Absolutely. I want to hit first things first. Let's talk about PP's choice to remove heals from the game. Oh, it's, okay. It's, it's a terrible idea. I, I agree. I think removing a terrain piece from the game is a horrible idea. Especially when it's a common type people already have. They're in every Muse on Minis packs. You get two hills that are flat hills. And to be fair, hills are one of the things I have no problem with being flat. Like hills and trenches, no worries about that at all. Some Anything that is always going to cause a problem for models. Yeah. Like even the best hills, which are those plastic jubby hills where they got this sort of little bit of step that a steep incline and then the plateau sort of on top. I like those hills, but even those can cause problems. Correct. Anytime you get a model that's a little top heavy, especially the metal models, mm -hmm. they, well, they'll, they'll topple right over it. And if you're using sand and gravel on a on a table for scenery stuff. It's like sandpaper on your paint job. Yep. Or if you're using like foam, like people do have done in the past, that model comes around and like the spear sticks into the ground and you're like, what just happened? So there's some problems there, but yeah, getting rid of a, a common train type is a bit silly. Good night, Adam. Have a good night. Night, Adam. Right. Um, so, so we all think that it's it's a bad choice for them to yes. remove that. Let, let me let me take care of Kaza Cubicle real quick. So Kaza Cubicle actually in War Machine of Hordes, hills do not block line of sight. Correct. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. They probably should, um, but neither here nor there. They don't. They actually only give you a uh, give you extra line of sight seeing over models, and they give you a bonus versus uh, range attacks. Correct. It is so. the only, and so this is where it comes up in the tournament aspect. Mm -hmm. uh, hills, um, depending on what your TO does and de depend on how he sets it up, certain buildings can block a line of sight to certain things. But if you're on a hill, you can see over things because of elevation bonuses uh, and height restrictions and all this other stuff. But, because um, that was brought up recently at a big tournament where the Colossal was able to be completely on a hill and see over everything and shoot at something that it commonly wouldn't have been because most people know that most terrain pieces aren't big enough to fit a colossal. Yes, they had hills that were too large. A colossal could fit completely on it, kept it completely on it to get the bonus, uh, and it caused some problems. So their reaction is to get rid of hills rules which is an overreaction of the highest order. And, I mean, I don't want to sound too negative because I was called out. Maybe it was a little negative last time, but it's really lazy. Well, it, it's also, I don't think that it's also not the, we can't say definitively that that's what Privateer Press did. Uh, but we can understand that that's one of the, could be one of the reasons why. Yeah, I'm sure it is a reason why. It may not be the only reason why. I'm sure there's a bunch and it was not a decision they made easily. Correct. But, it is taking out a train piece rather than making the rules for it work in your game is lazy. Well, because there's also to think about this. Uh, for people that know that play the, play the game, uh, elevation bonus. You get plus to your defense to be hit from range attacks. Mm -hmm. Great. Used to be a really good thing to do 
to uh, protect your caster, protect other mm-hmm. models. They'd have a good high defense, you know, a 15 plus, put them up on a hill, they're 17. You know, you're like, yes, now I can hardly be hit, and it's a yeah. little bit more protection. Uh, and it's the only bonus you could get against um, spray attacks. Yeah. Spray attacks ignore everything except for elevation bonus. Now that elevation bonus is gone, um, what do you, there, there's no protection. Sprays are, sprays are going to be pretty dominant or are going to be, you know, able to do, and people I'm sure are going to be afraid of them more. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It depends on how many sprays you have. Uh, for armies that have a lot of sprays, yeah, well, it is a, let's just say it's a meta-changing thing. Yeah. Because I don't want to judge for tournament capacity. It's a meta-changing thing, and that is often good and bad, you know, equal measures of both. Correct. You know, that's, for, that's for them to figure it out. Um, what uh, Crimson 1919 uh, brought out is that they're taking out of the rules, and the only real rules that PP has is tournament rules right now. So if you take out the tournament rules, that means there's no casual play for it. And casual play for machine isn't exactly huge right now anyways, but that means there is no casual rules for it, which further hurts a portion of the game that they're already having problems with, in my opinion. So from a War Machine of Hordes perspective, it is is multiplicatively bad because not only is it sort of, like I said, sort of lazy rather than fixing it, it's, it's... you know, you're getting rid of something people have readily available. There's only so much terrain people have readily available, and you're getting one of the common types, and one of the few types that is generally okay to throw a mouse pad out for that no Correct. one has any problems with. Yeah, because hills are a pain in the ass to get on. So, yeah. uh, but, uh, so that's 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 things they need to look at more. And I know, I'm sure they had a hard, long discussion, and they're not making this lightly. And we can, of course, tear shreds from you know over here in our chairs with our drinks, but. I think that one thing that, so if, if we were to change and say, hey, this is what we think they should have done if they wanted to remove heals, I think what they should have done is just remove the line of sight bonus from being on it. No, no, no. You, you're thinking way too, way too hard, Gonzo. Okay. What do you think? Simple rule. Colossals cannot get a line of sight bonus from hills. We're done. Okay. That solves the actual problem they were worried about. So are they already just super tall? Colossals? I don't play War Machine, so Correct. I don't know. Uh, Colossals do. Model. Yeah, your line of sight's all based off your 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 base size and being able to see over things potentially. Okay. And um, it's also volume of the model. In, yeah, see see way further because the hill multiply is ba- the hill seeing over models is based off their base size. So it it uh, gives them a an advantage that shouldn't be there in my opinion. Um, but yeah, yeah that could be another one. Real nice sized. It's a uh, very similar size. Yeah. Um, Are there other models that share that base size? Yes. Do they just say Battle any engines. model that has this base size doesn't get that bonus? Sure, they could yeah. just say huge base models don't get that bonus. They could. They I mean, could you can even say that all the way. You know, you, they don't get any bonus from hills. So that way they don't get the defense bonus. They don't get any of the bonus. I mean, there's nothing broken in that. That's super easy. Fixed. Bob's your uncle. Yeah. I mean... There's no problem there. Um, I, and looking at it for me as a tournament organizer, I've got to figure out more terrain now because all my hill terrain is worthless. It's nothing. I can't use it. And so I'm like, oh, crap. Do they have forests too? I mean, does it become like uh, people just use more forests or something? That's, that's We've got to figure out what we can use instead of it because usually uh, on a table, you usually have about six to eight pieces of terrain for War Machine Hordes. And it's very centered 
Uh, there's like a, you can't put it within a certain radius of other things, and you can't put it uh, in certain areas, just so yeah, you don't. A, there's a lot of aesthetic rules made for gameplay, not for aesthetics. Correct. Uh, but you, um, you do have forests, and now I've got to figure out what all I can put on the terrain, so it's not completely all forest, because if you have an all forest, um, if you put forest in the place of hills, you yes. now give circle a, a very good advantage. Oh, sure, okay. Well, let's. Uh, well, look, I'm actually glad you brought that up, Kathy, because that brings up the next level of uh, of discussion I want to make about uh, private breast terrain. Is that forests, which are the most common type of terrain out there, actually give models bonuses in yes. some cases. The amount of different terrain types they have that are, let's say, viable. Is viable a good word for it? Uh, yeah. Or, um, Viable is very few, and that's sort of problematic. And now there are ways to go further. We had people, um, we had these little, uh, you know, shag carpet <laughs> sort of bits we'd put out as for like uh, um, cornfields or whatever, and we would call those concealment, which is cool. You know, you're in the cornfield, it's kind of harder to see you and shoot you. Cool. Mm -hmm. Not everyone does that. They're not in the rule book, so it's sort of like almost a house rule for terrain. Sure. Um, and that's sort of the thing about when we show horse trains, it's all very specific and, for tournament play, as, as uh, Crimson brought up earlier. And that can cause some problems. And they really, and it's not just them. I said last week that, or I said on Twitter last week to somebody, that most of the miniature games out there have really not good terrain rules. Uh, we had a little bit of discussion. If it's not historical, the terrain rules are probably less than good. And that's why we're having this discussion. And I think in an effort to make their game as balanced as possible for tournament play, which is what they have for competitive play, a private press has sort of taken the soul out of terrain for them. I mean, we already talked about the 2D terrain, which is problematic because a lot of people don't like it. Um, people, And I understand the, the perspective that, oh, you know, there's some people playing, you got to have terrain for everyone. Absolutely. But to bring a counterpoint, they don't necessarily share... But my buddy Marshall said that's bullshit because Adepticon can have full 3D terrain for all their 40k tables. Why can't we? Spend, we get more we all spend a lot, a lot of time. Oh. Uh, a lot of volunteers spend a lot of time throughout the year to make that happen. But make it happen, we do. Absolutely. So if you go, but if you take that, and it's absolutely true, you guys have a lot of volunteers doing a lot of good work. Isn't War Machine of Horror supposed to have a great hobby community? Why the hell aren't they stepping up and doing it too? Yeah. Come on, guys. Now, there are people that do that. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and kudos to them because, like I said, there's a big problem. A yeah. lot of people want... The, let's, let's get this thing. PP does want 3D terrain. There's no yeah. if, ands, or buts. A lot of players want 3D terrain. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not that. There are very few people that don't want 3D terrain. Um, and, and we were talking about that. We were talking about um, the uh, hills. Hills are one of the objects that are a big problem. And it's just because putting a model on it and falling over and so on and so forth. We understand yeah. that. But for the most part, most players want 3D terrain of some sort. Yep. And we actually discussed it, and we think the best answer what we call 2.5D terrain, <laughs> where you have a mouse pad down for everything. Yep. And if it's a forest, you put trees on top of it. I do yeah. that with terrain. You put your 3D terrain on top of your mouse pad, and then when it's time to... Uh, you know, 
for the terrain to take effect in the game, you take your 3D terrain off. Here's mm-hmm. your mouse pad. Now you know exactly where your terrain was. Mm-hmm. And you play through. Yep. You and there are a lot through. of people that are doing that. Um, yep. I, I'll, I'll go back to what the, the Nashcon guys did. They built 3D houses. They still put the TD terrain uh, on there. And then they put the 3D model on top of it. One, so it looks 3D and it, you know, it looks cool. Two, if the building gets knocked over, you don't care because the mouse pad's not going to get moved. Nope. Um, and three, it just it, it makes the game so much better when you have 3D terrain. Absolutely. If it, and I hate to say this. I, I am not. We're talking about War Machine Hordes. I'm not being negative about them. But if everyone wanted 2D terrain, that's fine. Just play with 2D models. You're basically playing a board game. Which is funny. Is we brought that up whenever we were talking about last week because Hungerford even said that. Yeah, because he, he brought up about what happens if you knock over, you know, one of your models. Oh, no, we have to play with 2D models now, which there, nobody wants a- to do that. And we're not going to do that. And it was a great, funny joke for Hungerford to say that. Um, but he is right. The game is not that important for the most part for you to worry about it. Because when you're playing and I'm going, I'm going to put this model down. I'm going to make sure that I'm outside of your model's threat range. And you know you are because you've said you are. And you knock over the model. All you do is pick that model back up, remeasure it, and you're good to go. Yeah. And and honestly, um, if the game is more important to you than that, and there I have a I have a local who stopped playing War Machine of Hordes and started just playing Magic again and Warhammer Underworlds because he said it stuck in his craw. No matter how good of people you are, someone's going to be a little upset back in their head. If something gets knocked over and something always gets knocked over and you're not going to have a perfect game state. And, you know, fair. He's right. If that is that important to you, then absolutely. You're going to have to make changes. Yeah. But uh, honestly, maybe it's, hobby. Yeah, maybe it's not the game for you, and that's fine. It, and we're still War Machine of Hordes. We're going to finish War Machine of Hordes and go into other, other stuff momentarily. But War Machine of Hordes, again, we, we reiterate with this. This is because all they have right now is competitive play. That's so funny, Crimson, because yeah. I was about to say, you know, for me, terrain is there. It's there to create the scene. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there to create the world, just like the miniatures are there to create the world. If if you're not creating a world of 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 three D fantasy or sci fi with your models and your terrain, then you might as well be playing Advanced Squad Leader. With your little cardboard chits, you know? Don't be disrespectful advanced quad leader. No, it's a great game. Don't get me wrong. It's just, it's a very different sort of a game. It's got a lot of strategy, you know? And if that's the kind of thing you like, then perhaps that's the game you should be gravitating towards. Well, I mean, Crimson says playing about on hexes. That is one of the main reasons why uh, Dust is played on hexes. They have rules to play it with measuring tapes. And you can measure out where you want to go. But they're like, it's just so much easier. You know exactly where the model is, where it's going to be, how it's going to interact, all that. So you don't have to worry about invalidating game state. You know where it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But you lose immersion. Is it worth it? Cor- yeah, there is that. That's yeah, a question is- you have to answer for yourself. We can't answer that for you. Correct. Is it worth it? I've played, so Battletech is the always the big one, the first sort of proto-war game of hex grids and then potentially models and they had the cardboard cutouts and all. And when we eventually as a club got together enough money and we bought actual terrain for it, started putting up these big tables of actual terrain using geohex and stuff and using tape measure and everything, it was so much more awesome. Yeah. 
just to have that there. Even just a simple stuff like even crappy painted battle mechs. And let's tell you, our early battle mechs were painted crappy. Did none of us have any skills. We we hadn't really met GW much, but at that back then. But it was so much more epic to have that, you know, that 3D terrain there. I think we need to look at that. It it think about yourself on the top tables at uh, War Machine Weekend, Warfare Weekend, or whatever, or Lock and Load, and suddenly you've got that awesome 3D table you're playing on. Doesn't that make the game so much more awesome? Makes it super cool. It does make it super cool. I remember many a times when back when it was War Machine Weekend. And Chris would build, people would die to see what Chris's new table was Mm -hmm. um, for the championship table. Other people got to play on it. Yeah, sure. But people were like, ooh, what's the table that he did? Now, don't get me wrong. They weren't the greatest tactical, you know, or perfect table for everything. But everybody wanted to play on it. Everybody wanted to do it. I'm kind of glad you brought that up, Gonzo, because that brings up another common myth and misconception of terrain and that is the quote-unquote fair terrain layout let me tell you folks the whole point games are set up where one side chooses which side they play on that's usually considered an advantage is because terrain is not supposed to be fair for both sides there should be an advantage or disadvantage to one side or the other in any game yeah um i bring that up a lot whenever we play you know in a tournament and it's like well um, well, there's no really no advantage to uh, choosing terrain side, so I'll just go first. Yeah. Whenever I would uh, have terrain set up, I would have one of the non-gamer, well, I don't say non-gamers, non-competitive guys who's a miniature gamer who's worked at GW with me, uh, named the Jason. He's the Jason. Don't don't call him just Jason. He's the Jason. I would have him go through and help and set up terrain. So he'd set up all terrain, all the tables, and then we'd go after and make it, if you will, legal. You know, people are like, this is crap. I'm like, nope, there's an advantage to one side. Now you have to make a hard choice whether you want to go first or if you want the advantage. Correct. And, there should and they be. were all very picturesque, very cool. There's little villages and all that. If you don't get so caught into stickler rules and making it quote-unquote fair, which is, of course, impossible, you can make very picturesque, awesome things. Like maybe your column's coming into a village to attack. And maybe they're defending the village. They get an advantage because they chose to, to get the advantage. Yeah. But you also don't, uh, I want to go back in that. You also don't want to make it so one-sided that the other person has no feasible way to play. Uh, no. I, I bring I mean, this up because I went to a tournament and this guy was bringing Colossals. And pretty much one half of the board was nothing but walls. I looked oh. at him and said, you're, you're screwed. I, I've won game. I've won before you even put your army down. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm choosing this side of the board without all the walls. And he goes, well, I got to take this one. And says, yeah, now you can't move. I win automatically. And he's like, this is a very bad, this is a very bad terrain set up. And I go, yeah, yes. That's when you call the judge and tell him you got to fix Correct. this. Yeah. And, and we, 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 we worked on that. I'm just saying yeah. that yeah. setting up a terrain and a table for terrain is just not, you, you don't just put a bunch of stuff and go, ah, yeah, it's good. You got to make sure that it's advantageous to everybody, but not one-sided. Yeah. And. Actually, uh, Devil Squid did that once in one of our games at back at Drop Zone. He, he there's one table. I'm like, I have to leave my non-colossal list open to play because if I get that table, I can't play my colossal list on it. Yeah, you just have so, to be. You you, you you don't just play stupid too. You don't. Huh. And the tos need to make sure that they're not putting out stupid stupid tables. Yeah, and Crimson brings up a lot of good notes there. He brings up, uh, you know, I think one thing he train does it tells us does your train tell a story? It should. 
Like goes on to say, do you have single trench templates lying around randomly or multiple trench templates lined up as if they were trenches? Now you could have single trenches. Those are really called false foxholes or whatever. You know, are your houses randomly placed or lined with trees, fences, whatever? You know, and he talked about the Seymour packet, which has these rules about eight pieces of terrain arranged randomly, and it just ends up looking like mouse pad vomit. Yeah. It does. But you can sort of fix that. There's no, as a TO or a gamer, if you're just playing the regular game, once you generate a terrain by whatever random method that may or may not exist in your game system, you guys can talk about, like, let's move this here. What we'll often do locally is we'll set up a terrain board, and it'll be sort of thematic, and then someone goes, you know, look at the guy, like, what do you think? And they'll move a couple things around, then we'll look, we'll move a couple things some more, and then we're both like, that's good, we'll go. Um, we've been so far as uh, not Russia Davis sat in on a game that myself and uh, Paul was playing. Uh, I was on a terrain, and he just looked and said, like, all right, turn these this way, because we're playing Legion, and Legion can attack from the long edges, too. He wanted to make sure that the all the terrain was good to cover line of sight, block line of sights, and, and break up fire lanes from every angle. Yeah, because you, you definitely don't want a huge fire lane where I can shoot from one side of the board to the other side without having some type of cover. Yeah, absolutely. Um, people on the Legion uh, um, Facebook page uh, talk about how range 4 is just so powerful and all this. And then a guy, uh, after a similar thread on the uh, FFG forum, said, it's because you're not using terrain right, and I absolutely agree. Yes. A lot of these problems, people are like, oh, too much of this, too much of that. You're not using terrain right. Like, we use a lot of super huge buildings to break up line of sight for 40K at the local store, and it does a great job of doing that. Yeah. It looks cool buildings, just basically painted super cool, and then you're like, I can't just shoot. Even my knight can't just shoot through this building. I've got to actually maneuver... Either take the shots you give me, or have to maneuver a lot to get the good shots, and it makes the game so much more interesting. Yeah, uh, just being able to stand still. I know I play Tau, and I'm used to it. I can just stand still and shoot across the board, but you shouldn't 100% all the time have get to do that. That's a that's a problem with a game. State. No, in fact, you should rarely get to do that. I mean, and honestly, 40k is a whole different thing. Where honestly, aside from blocking line of sight, some of the terrain didn't do a lot originally it does now since uh the most recent chapter approved i think it was put all the train rules in there and there's a lot of interesting train rules that are very in some cases harsh as fuck and in some cases yeah not doing much but at least all the train does something now every kit they're putting out now has rules for sort of what it does and that's cool and GW goes a long way for that. Not not everyone has the same ability to put out terrain like they do, unfortunately. If they did, man, wouldn't it be awesome? Well, it also goes back, you know, that you've got to... If your game has where ranges are super important, i.e. range 4 and legion, you know, 28 inches and, you know, whatever, you need to be looking to make sure that it's not exploitable to the point that that person's going to win before turn one is even done. And it goes yeah. back to table setup, which is very table, important. Terrain is one of those things that I think not every company takes seriously and not every gamer takes seriously when they're putting it on the table. It should be collaborative. Like, maybe not necessarily as far as I go to we do that. Sometimes people just go like, all right, I put a piece of terrain down, you put a piece of terrain down, and then back and forth, which is cool. That'll work, too. Uh, Song of Ice and Fire. Song of Ice and Fire has, you have a pool of terrain. If it is not set up by the TO to begin with, um, but if it isn't, say you're doing a casual game of the store, there you have a pile of terrain. You roll off, first person gets to pick a piece of terrain. 
All right, I'm going to pick this one up and put it here. Uh, all right, I'm going to take this piece of terrain and put it here. Uh, you only get four pieces of terrain, which I thought was weird at first, but it works with the game. Um, and they can't be within a certain distance of each other and certain things like that, which is good because it lets people maneuver around things and so on and so forth. But it also gives you advantage because there are some terrain pieces that affect your morale. Uh, the corpse pile affects your morale. If you're within a certain distance of it, your morale is lowered. But then, mm -hmm. and if you play uh, for, say, uh, Lannisters, that's a good piece of terrain to have out there uh, because you don't have a problem with, because you, your, a lot of your abilities are based off of people losing their morale and gives them, you know, losses to their life. So terrain actually makes a big difference whenever you're playing that game and choosing what terrain pieces. Now, of course, when you're in a tournament setting, you're not going to be able to have all that terrain. It's usually set up already, but it is important to choose but sides. It doesn't have to be. No, but I mean, if, if I'm looking... Part of the game, the TO can just put, here's your eight terrain pieces. Correct. And part of the game could be setting them up. Could be. But I'm saying if you go to it, and sometimes you don't have a lot of time for that due to the restraints of whatever they're playing. But if you go to, I'm, I'm taking Adepticon for a thing because they have a song of ice and fire, and the terrain's already set up. And I know that I'm playing Lannister as my army, and my army affects, all my abilities affect morale. I'm going to choose a side that doesn't have a corpse pile on it and make my opponent have the corpse files on it. And I know that if he's within short distance of that corpse pile, he's at minus one. I'm going to hit that model with all of my negative effects that I can to make him lose as many guys as possible. Because that is a tactical advantage you need to look when you're playing with terrain. You just don't let it just go, oh, terrain doesn't matter. No, in that game, with a Lannisters, giving a negative five to negative six, and you could lose, you know, you know, seven or eight guys out of a unit right before they even get started and get to do anything devastating. Yes, that is very important. So, But then again, also as a TO, maybe that's a terrain piece you put more towards the middle so it doesn't affect immediately, but it'll have effect in the middle of the game. Correct. And that's another thing is people... Sometimes I find uh, people put all this terrain, deployment zone, then the middle of the board's like a fucking no man's land. Like, oh. that's not how we're playing this. You need to actually do sort of the opposite. Less terrain immediately in the deployment zone. There should be a little bit there and then a bunch just outside. So people have to move. And then, you know, a bunch in the center of the table. Yeah, should well, not be a killing zone for any game. Yeah, most. Uh most scenarios for a Song of Ice and Fire says you can't place it in the deployment zone. Which is, it's a good rule. Yeah. It, not necessarily for every game. Um, actually, Moondoggy brings up one of the reasons he played Infinity for so long was the terrain and all the things you can do with it in that game. Absolutely. Infinity probably has the most formed sort of idea of what terrain should be. Yeah. I mean, they're still broken down. They're sort of the U.S. school of thought, which is very, very terrain heavy, and the uh, European school of thought, which is a little more moderate there's still some fire lanes but not any you start with there's some like if you move in a little bit uh it's a little uh a little different not quite the same sneaking through terrain but it is a very good terrain thing and actually they have tons of rules to take advantage of multiple levels they have rules so that even if you put motherfuckers up in the clock tower somebody if i can go up and get him because they got the ability to climb up there or jump up there oh, yeah. they have a lot of rules they put a lot of thought into it and it pays off when you play that game Granted, it does make the game a bit more complicated, but it's all good complicated and makes the game more stunning visually and more immersive, and it helps. Well, and the thing is, is certain games, you have to have 
a lot of terrain. And to me, going back with Infinity, Infinity is one that requires you to have a lot of terrain. If you did not have a lot of terrain in Infinity or 40k, the games would be over in seconds. I mean, Easily. 40K, probably get away with it because, I mean, that's how people play 40k as it is. Yeah. But yeah, Infinity would not work. No. It, it, the games would be over too quickly and you'd be like, well, that wasn't fun. Especially yeah. with reactive fire. Yeah, uh, ARO's in get, that like, game. Just Sigmar where the terrain matters significantly less, but it's not your cool piece. Um, though they are getting better at making more terrain do stuff in that game as well. Um, but I find that game has uh, very little terrain put out and should have more, and it should have more defined what does it do. Forests pretty much only provide, you know, a defensive bonus if someone attacks you. They're not harder to move through or anything. They've got rid of a lot of that, which is weird. I mean, I like the 40K style rule where if you go through a forest... At any point, you take minus two to your charge rolls. Well, that's, that's yeah. cool. That that's made cool. sense. Same with a crater and stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. But there's a lot of little rules you can do. And we do a lot of... We'll do a lot of fucking winging it on rolls. And don't think... If you guys are playing with your buddies, you can do a lot of winging it with rules. You can go like, what does this do? Um, you know, you know, it's water. You're, you know, just like everything else. It's, it's small water, so it's, you know... Maybe it's minus four because it's water. It's really even harder to go through and charge. Unless you got flying or something. Well, I mean, PP uh, did get rid of uh, deep and shallow water. Uh, if anybody remembers deep water, the shallow water. Well, it's just water, pretty much. I mean, they got rid of yeah. deep. There's there's no deep and there shallow is deep water. Water and shallow water is not just water. Yeah. And if anybody remember, uh, deep water. If your warjack was knocked over, it was out of the game. Actually, uh, any water, it, it, well, any model that went into deep deep water that was not amphibious yeah. died. And then you had shallow water, and if your model was knocked over, Warjack was knocked over, could, you know, put it out and so on and so forth. So it was like... Well, wasn't that characterful and cool? It was. Um, it seems like it would be really frustrating. Although, if you know that water does that to you, why would you walk through it then? You Sometimes you got to. You're like, yeah. I need to get to that guy. Sometimes you take the chance. Does he have a knocked on effect that he can get to me? Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I've gone through water knowing full well what could happen to my Warjack. I had no problem if it happened because I went in expecting it. Yeah. I mean, I know I went to a tournament and this guy came up to me and came through the water and had a Warjack. And, of course, this is back in Mark II. Um, came up and he had three Warjacks in the water. And they all three got knocked out. They all got knocked down and that was it for the Warjacks. And he was like, well, that sucks. And I go... You knew what I mean, water he, did. He took yeah. a chance. Yeah. yeah. Roll them dice and it comes up bad. And it happens. Um, there's actually one game where someone, where my opponent's like, let's call that one deep water. So it's basically impassable. I'm like, staring uh -oh. down at Shay, <laughs> going, okay. Shay gets in trouble. Shay jumps in deep water. He's amphibious. He's fine. He can't get to me. Literally cannot get to me. Crimson tried to post a link. Nope. <laughs> Sorry about that, Crimson. Crimson, uh, uh, if you need to post a link, send it to me. I'll post it for you. But uh, he said I didn't post a link. What did it try to do? It thought he posted a link. Well, let me see what you got here. So uh, Crimson said, hot take, the eight pieces of terrain, the steamroller package, be all placed in the center, 30 by 30 square of the board. Then add more terrain on the edges just for decoration. Absolutely true. That um, is uh, That is perfectly cool. I think that's even the way it should be. Now, there's a I lot of people. I don't understand why that looks like a link, 
Also, I agree with that sentiment, too. And then he said, random thought, what about rules that allow players to play extra terrain pieces uh, to represent having strategic advantage, such as my, the grand scheme things, my army has better logistics. It's an interesting idea, but then you sort of get into the current problem with the... Uh, what's the name of your fucking faction there in Age of Sigmar, Gonzo? Uh, the Sylvaneth. The Sylvaneth, where they bring a million trees and things start to get unfun real quick. Yes. Now, terrain pieces that don't do as much, absolutely, that could be kind of cool. And then he says, the one interesting thing with those old water rules, they punished Warjacks, not War Beasts, uh, in Mark II, where <laughs> Warjacks still sucked and didn't need to be punished more. Correct. But, again, I would say, with no harshness, they kind of overreacted to that problem. It streamlined it, but it uh, it did take away a lot of the character of the game when they could have done it. Walls are done. Cool. Walls done. I flocked them. I flocked it very good. Interesting. Anyways, but there you go. That's what he was talking about. I agree with most of the statements, though. Uh, the extra train would be interesting. What you do is you do what GW does right now with Age of Sigmar, where basically every faction that comes out now has a terrain piece that is basically free and they get to use. Yeah, they get now, to summon it out. Well, not summon it. It starts on the t- you put it on the table when you when you deploy. Oh, well, some of them are summable. Uh, well, they're gonna. You, if you think that's gonna last through the next edition of the rules, you might have a. <laughs> Another thing coming. I think they're going to get rid of that because it makes it hard to play the game. Correct. I would hope so. It is uh, a bit one of the biggest negative pr- impacts. But in any case, prime example. Uh, I play Sylvaneth, and I can bring out, depending on how I build my army, I could bring out three Sylvaneth forest a turn. Of course, with placement of a terrain. Turn. Yes. Not my turn. I can place out three forests right off the bat. And there's no like max that you can place. Nope. I mean, nope. there there are rules that I can't be within certain. Bo- well, there are rules now that you can't deploy them a certain distance, which is going to help a lot. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the full rules are. I, we haven't got our general's handbook, and I haven't got this. And the Sylvaneth book isn't out yet, so we don't know what the full changes are. Yeah, but we it don't used know what to be. Change. Yeah, they're gonna they're probably gonna remove a lot of the. Because you start off getting what three extra forests also. Uh, I start off with the ability to have one Sylvaneth forest that has three pieces of it, it's a possibility of having three but all three must be placed within one inch of each other um and, and those those gw forest templates that we use all the time oh so yeah yeah not a uh, a small amount of terrain and this no. is kind of problematic it makes the game unfun correct because then on top of that my first turn i can walk up with one model put down another forest walk up with another model and put up to three things down not just one up to three and so on and so forth with three different models. So technically, if terrain was there and I was able to do it, I could put three, six, nine, three, six, nine, twelve pieces of forest out by turn one if I go first. Yeah, and it's that's ridiculous. It is. It is. Totally um, ridiculous. I, I played a friend of mine and we were doing that, and I was like, "I'm going to show you what it is," and he's like, "This is not fun." And I go, "Yeah, because if you try to go through it, you will have problems." Yep. Um, so there's that too. But aside from that, the other armies they put out, as they put them out, they put out a terrain piece. Like the uh, uh, the Gloomsight Gits have their uh, terrain piece that comes out and gives them little bonuses and all if they're near it. Um, and then, you know, the corn guys have it. They've been putting it in every list. It's very, very characterful and very interesting. I, I think do. even the Ionith Deep can have a have a beast train. They can either deploy as one larger beast train mm-hmm. or two slightly smaller pieces of terrain, which is kind of cool. I like the idea of the terrain pieces having bonuses to the army, 
and having an ability like, okay, this is aka rough terrain, and so you move slower through it. And not like the Sylvaneth would, where if you run through it on a one, you're just dead. Yeah, that's... That's the real harsh reality of it. Uh, yeah. I like it like, okay, if you're within certain distance of a Sylvaneth forest, you get the ability to cast spells better or better morale, blah, blah, blah. If you're an enemy in it, you are slowed down on your charge. I like that better than you're just slain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that, that's there. Um, what else do we have? Malifaux is always weird. Um, they have very defined uh, characteristics for terrain. And the new book, and I only had a small time to look into it because the local store didn't get enough for me to get a copy. Um, but it is free online. I took a little look. Um, they have definable characteristics. And then they have ideas of what each piece of terrain should be inherently. Uh, obviously, you can change it if you wish, but it sort of tells you, like, oh, this is a building. It should be <clears throat> climbable, this and this and this. Is I don't play Malifaux. I did buy one of the starters, or I'm buying one of the starter sets. Do a lot of models have the ability to climb? No, climbable, anyone can do it. It just changes. It, it slows you down, basically. Oh, okay. Because, like, in War Machine Hordes, nothing is climbable, and so you just don't have to worry about it. Yeah, it's it's much more normal. Like basically, you measure up, and that's how hard how you climb. Gotcha. Um, sort of like, like, sort of like, like Legion and stuff. Like the standard walls you would use in uh, War Machine, and you just sort of, if you have Pathfinder, you go over them, and if not, you know you can't charge over them, but you can just move over them, and it doesn't add the extra movement. Yeah. In Malifaux, you would literally measure the amount up and measure the amount down, and that is sort of a movement penalty for the wall. Gotcha. Um, but hills are sort of weird. They're sort of similar to uh, War Machine Hordes Hills and Malifaux. And as a result, the players chose not to use them, but the rules are still there. Correct. Um, and they weren't really that confusing, but it was a lot of the same stuff because models have specific sizes, sort of like the War Machine. But Malifaux had a great, you know, just characteristics. Like, okay, this is blocking terrain. This is not blocking terrain. All, all sorts of little stuff like that. And that's sort of, I think, the new way forward is they have keywords and heights and all, so you can sort of tell exactly what they're going to do for you. Um, going back to Song of Ice Fire, every model, every piece of terrain has a keyword. Uh, impassable, um, fearsome, um, you know, so on and so forth. So all you got to do is know what the keyword is, and then they tell you what that keyword means, which I think is what really needs to start happening on terrain pieces. Um and it needs to be a quick reference too. It just doesn't need to be just there. It's Honestly, like, knowing the name usually give usually start spark something in your mind. So like correct. I know what that does. And usually fairly intuitive. Correct. Uh, so here's a funny thing. Gonzo Crimson actually mentions uh, there are terrorist obstructions or a thing in the core rules. You can go on top of them, but they're not in a steamroller packet, so no one uses them. Correct. That's going into it. Um, which going back to that, we do have more terrain within the steamroller packet. Uh, because we have burning forests and clouds and stuff like that. And you can use 2D terrain for that. Sorry, I have an itch on my leg. But um, there's very few people that want to start using the burning forest, burning earth, or, you know, acid pools because they're not used to it. And I'm like, no. If I'm going to go to a large tournament scene, Adepticon, Gen Con, something, LVO, I know that they're going to start u they're using those. I 100% am going to use it at my local store. <coughs> well, no, you, <clears> and start getting stuff. They're in the packet. You yeah. should use them. Correct. You should always use it because you never know what's going to happen when you go to that. <clears throat> you go to a tournament and they go, we use Burning Earth. And you're like, shit, what does Burning Earth do? 
Uh, Legion has mentioned he, he's interested in how different Legion terrain is. Legion terrain is very easy. Um, yep. Generally, uh, if it causes a penalty, you just move down one speed and you go over it to a minimum of one. Um, generally, it gives you cover, heavier light cover. And if you get light and light, you got heavy because it's cover one, cover two, basically. Um, and then it has a height, so you can fly over it or climb it or clamber over it. Uh, clambering's weird. It's probably mm-hmm. the weirdest part of the rules, but it does mean you can climb up things that don't have easy access points, but you might lose dudes. Which, going about Legion Terrain, uh, More Than Dice is now sponsoring one of the tables at Warfare Weekend for Star Wars Legion. Um, we will be... I am printing all of our, watch my fingers, Desert Planet Terrain, um, because that name is copyrighted. And... Um, we will be sponsoring a table uh, with all of our stuff, so you can see it. I'm printing out. I printed out a bunch of our walls, uh, a bunch of doorways. I printed out some curved walls tonight. I'm going to print out uh, tomorrow. I'm going to print out some curved walls, and then after that, uh, probably about ten days straight of printing buildings. Um, I have a lot of desert buildings to print out. <laughs> to be honest, uh, Gale Force Nine makes some good desert buildings as well. I have a bunch of them and I've enjoyed them very much. And their walls are interesting, though I'd like a little more diversity in the parts in it so I can make bigger walls. But yeah, well, I've got a set that's tall walls and short walls. So, but I want to make I want to I want to have a more than dice table that is very thematic. And excuse me, Star Wars Legion tables a hundred percent can be that. Um, if you went to Adepticon and saw those, holy shit, those were awesome. They had some amazing Star Wars Legion terrain, so you will have to see that, um, which we will have some really cool terrain at Warfare Weekend. Yeah, terrain is honestly the biggest point where the 3D printing that everyone thought was going to destroy the model industry is really only affecting terrain. Yes. I have 3D printed models before. They're not as great, although it is not a resin printer, and a resin printer you can get much better. Um, but it still takes way too long to do. Mm-hmm. And to get the really high quality ones, they're prohibitively expensive. Go on Shapeways sometimes, guys. Find a, a, a store that sells miniatures and look at their highest quality models. And then realize that they're significantly cheaper than, actually more expensive than what you were going to buy at the store. Yeah. Significantly. Yeah, something. Uh, Alicia says, what about the ice, Valhalla, or vanilla ice plant terrain? Um, vanilla ice plant terrain so here's the funny thing is that here's a good point about getting rid of hills to circle back around to the beginning hills are pretty much the only kind of terrain you have on an ice planet <laughs> you have hills maybe some cool impassable rock uh ice columns and such and trenches you dig and then man-made stuff other than that there's not really any appropriate terrain on a true ice planet you can put some trees on there but that kind of does not Bits because they would not live on an ice planet. So, interesting there. You can't really have a water feature because it'd be frozen and thus it becomes open ground. <laughs> Although, um, what you call it? Guild Ball does have where ice terrain makes you move a little bit faster. So, there is that. You could have uh, a frozen river grant you, if you move over, grant you, grant you plus one inches. That's really odd. Because you're and slipping and sliding, so you so run I've across never and never actually tried to run across ice. <laughs> well, you run until you get to the ice. 
yeah, then, then you like, slide across it. Got it. But, you know, full, full marks for, for trying to make a terrain piece do something. Yeah. I'm down with that. But, uh, yeah, so that's sort of the, uh, the thing there. I mean, I think we, we covered a, war- a large amount of terrain. Um, there's still other stuff. I mean, the people have this problem with impassable terrain, too. Like, they don't like putting it out when that's really, if you will, should be like the default piece that they have something on every table, whether it be a building you can't go in or those giant rock spires or whatever, they're great because they block on of sight. If you get up close to them, they're generally cover, concealment, whatever you call it in the game. And they affect the game in a tactical manner where you have to go around them, to maneuver around them. Mm-hmm. And that is good. Yes. That's sort of the point we're missing in, in terrain in some cases, is that it, if you never have to change the way you're playing because of the terrain on a board, the terrain has been done incorrectly somewhere down the line. Uh, destructible terrain is a very, very good point to bring up. There are very few games where you can destroy terrain. Uh, in War Machine and Hordes, they did have that at one point. Um, because I know the Marauder was able to do it a lot easier. Uh, Warcaster did it. I can't remember which one. Was it Darius or Siege? I can't remember. Was able to destroy a certain terrain. But it was removed out because of one tournament play and two. Hardly anybody used it. It yeah. really didn't do much. And honestly, destructible terrain sounds great, like buildings and all, but pass a bash a hole in. That's cool. I could see that working out well. But if you're talking like you know pillars and stuff kind of in the way, uh, it takes a lot more effort to destroy destroy a giant piece of rock than you would think. Yeah. Um, and also problematic, you know. Otherwise, I would I would love to see a game that made destructible terrain and had like the rules for what it happens. Like your forest can be destroyed by fire becomes a burning forest and then becomes you know just rough terrain afterwards but no cover or anything that, I that's mean, like it would cool be idea. it would be one thing if you had a game where you had sappers yeah. you know who, who that's their purpose is to destroy the terrain or breach the walls or whatever Kathy, Which, you're talking that that, that historical shit again Oh, sorry. Ha, 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 Actually, I, I like games where they have sappers or someone whose job is to do stuff like that. Um, actually, Infinity has a function where, uh, I don't know if it's still in the game, but at least in last edition, or first edition, they had, or second edition, they had a thing where you could dig a foxhole. Some models could dig a foxhole and just, just where am I? Crap, foxhole. And they get a little bit of cover from that. I'll go back to uh, historical and say that in Bolt Action, they do have just. Dist- rules for uh, buildings that are destroyed and how you can move through ones that are already rubble and what happens when you have a unit that's in a building that gets destroyed like by a aerial bombardment or something yeah some games have those uh, those rules in them um, I want to say actually old fantasy had those rules you find in old fantasy book they had some rules for stuff like that I'm pretty sure for the castle and all uh, 40k still has some of those rules but it's scenario play it's not like normal um, yeah. but it's scenario play like you know lava has hit this building mm-hmm. and you're destroyed let's, if you're on it let's not uh, let's not open up that that's a whole nother session that's a whole other podcast topic there <laughs> but yeah there there are some out there but they're not used very often. Yeah. Crimson says, I wrote some basic rules for urban combat war machine. Basically, if you're in a building that's destroyed, you take fall damage depending on which floor you are on, plus an additional die for every story above you. And that's kind of similar to uh, 
what bolt action does. Mm-hmm. I don't remember it exactly, but that, that seems very similar. Yeah, I have no problem with that, but it just causes the uh, extra blows of terrain suddenly you have to have the... If you're using the mouse pad with the building on top, it's fine. Because you just take out the building of the mouse pad, and the mouse pad is just the wreckage because it's flat mm-hmm. if it goes over it. I mean, we've played games of 40K where like, no, well, you know, things that can't go in buildings can't go in buildings. And then they have all these buildings. I'm like, well, you got to do something else because otherwise it makes dreadnoughts and the like and things that can't go in buildings really fuck awful worthless. Yeah, and if you can't so, destroy the building so that they can walk through it. it's And I think that's why so many game companies uh, sort of, I don't want to uh, go for the easier, less effective terrain because it creates a less negative play experience. But also creates a less immersive one, and they're it's more. It's so weird in the that pop- it would be considered a, a negative to have to think about and strategize around your terrain. Well, no, I mean like you know buildings and not being able to get dreadnoughts and stuff in. If someone brings a cool, fun dreadnought army, suddenly you're like, I'm holding up in buildings. Fuck you, dreadnoughts. Yeah. Uh, also, remember old 40k rules. If you were in a building or something, and someone hit the bottom floor with a flamer, everyone got hit. Not this. Yes. <laughs> who's carbon a template? Bullshit. No, no. All of you. All of you. <laughs> but, and, and there are rules that can be done for that, and I hope eventually we get a game that does terrain rules right. As it is, uh, I will settle for mediocre terrain rules because that's sort of the best we can find. Uh, yeah, Moondoggy terrain tournaments uh, should change me more dynamic, but it won't because they turn players don't want to be arsed with it. Uh, TOs don't want to be arsed to make their tournament. I mean, that's why if you look at 40k certain things whoever makes the first relatively good tournament packet becomes the standard like the itc is pretty much the standard and i don't really like itc rules i think they're i mean they're okay but i don't really like them um sort of like steamroll well so well going way back machine i don't know how far back gonzo goes but steamroller wasn't always that way oh yeah the steamroller was originally apparently not very good and then uh um, Hacksaw made jackhammer rolls until uh, PP hired him to do Steamroller. But that uh, is no. I, I played. I played. I remember playing the original Steamroller, and we called it playing football at one point. Oh, I've got so many corners and edges. I win the game. You know, there was. I remember that. So yeah, no, I remember those days playing football. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other thing, victory conditions in a game. We could do a whole podcast on that, too. But uh, not right now. Right now, I think you have an announcement since it's time for the media section. Do I think you're going to keep painting? Uh, probably just keep painting a little bit. I mean, unless everybody wants to see the media screen, I can keep working on models and they can watch me do keep that. Keep painting. Um, no, I was going to tell you that um, for the people that did get, I think it was like, Moondoggy, did you get your stuff, by the way? Um. I think somebody sent me something saying that they got their stuff and they were wondering how to put their stuff together. And I was like, I have no clue. Um, hopefully you figured that out. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. If not, we can we can message Arky Dan and find out. Yeah, he'll, he'll let us know. But I told him to look on the page. I think it was Moondoggy. I don't remember. Um, but you should have gotten a 3D printout of our, ter- our, our AKA business cards. We're going to start... I'm going to start making some of those and giving them out. And also... Um, Certain ones will be um, a Patreon reward because we are having an issue with dice. Um, for the people that are part of our Patreon reward for that level, dice are taking eight to ten weeks to get out. 
And while we do have some dice for sale, we are having problems with shipping those too. We found out that the um, post office doesn't like us sending dice through the mail um, for some reason. Uh, sending Did they one want dice. it to be in some kind of a box or padded envelope? Yes, and then it yeah. takes that dice, takes that one dice, and makes it a huge expense of things. So we're gonna try to figure out some better rewards for y'all for patron. Um, also, the patron reward of uh, RPG will be going up pretty soon. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, I will be uh, role playing games for people. Um, right now, it's only gonna be one person. I may up it to two. Uh, depending on what it is and what the patron reward is going to be is that I will run an RPG for you and four of your friends, three or four of your friends, depending. Um, and uh, depending on the game, depends on what we'll play. Um, and we will figure that out. Um, but the one thing that we're going to have to do... Um, good. Um, what do you think about everything, by the way, Moondoggy? Um, the uh, reward, even though it is... We do charge per episode, guys, but you know that we don't charge for every episode we put out. We only charge you four times, and so everybody goes. But there will be a charge that has to be done because I will run this twice a week, and if anybody knows about my RPG sessions, they aren't bullshit. I mean twice a month, right? Oh, yeah, twice a month. Did I say twice a week? You said twice a week. Fuck that, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to charge a whole lot more for what I plan on charging. Um, but what it, what it is... We, do that, but shit. I will set a higher price value on it, but you can set your Patreon to go, I will only pay that once a month instead of four times a month. So you can set it up. And if you're interested in me running a campaign for you, get with me. I'll work with you. Um, get some stuff figured out for it. Um, I'm actually looking forward to it. There's a, quite a few uh, game systems I want to try within genres that people want um, that actually work really good online. Um, and actually I was really surprised, um, that there are actual professional DMs that charge like a hundred bucks per game session. And it's like a hundred bucks per game session. And it's only a two hour game session. Dude, and I'm like, dude, dude, do you know how much money I should have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was a point in my twenties where I was running four games a week. And they were not two-hour sessions. They were yeah. three, four plus. Man, I should be rich. Um, I mean, so there's 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 some things that we're going to do. Um, I definitely want to get some stuff for people, and we want to have some better patron rewards. Uh, we also, Kathy, uh, just a surprise for you. I know that um, your patron reward where you're p teaching people and stuff, we now have it where you can do subscriber-only streams. And we are actually in that, so that may help you with your little Patreon reward, um, where you can do subscriber-only streams for those people. Stupid net. Uh, and we're trying to work that out. We got into the beta on it. Um, other than that, um, I can continue painting. Or we go to the media screen. What do you want to go, guys? I can continue. No, we I've got painting. We can talk about painting. media without the okay. media screen. This is fun. Okay, I just got to work on this. I got to check if it's uh, not dry yet. Um, I'm going to work on something else. Um, so, uh, let's see. John, how many media things you got? One. Holy shit. I mean, Kathy? I because I read a book, too, so we'll call it two. Okay. Uh, I, no. Nothing, <laughs> Kathy? <laughs> I have only two this time. What? 
I know. Um, heard you can make fifty dollars an hour DMing for people. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. You, there are people that do. I looked it up. I was kind of curious. You're not wrong. I've seen it before. I just don't yeah. understand that. I only role play. I only run for my friends, though. Yeah. So. But we want to be able to make it a um, a Patreon reward. Uh, yeah, no, but if, if you divide that up between like, idea. it's just yeah, figuring out how to make it work logistics. You can be the penny gig, and then I'll figure out if it works. And if yeah. so, then I can <laughs> well, if you can quit your day job. <laughs> uh, no, my my day job is uh, worth. I mean, yeah, about that. Uh huh. I mean, if you could fill an eight-hour day with just without just uh, running games, sure. But I'll probably shoot myself after a while. There's a point where you just run out of ideas. Um, uh, canary on this? You want to be a canary? Baneon, you put that reward up there. You get three or four of your buddies. We'll role play it. I'll let you be the canary on it. Okay. Um, I actually have three things to talk about. Uh, just one up. I He's forget. watching media as we speak. Watching Wait, media as we speak. No, I was, what I do to remind myself of what to talk about on the podcast is I text myself. I will send myself a text to remind me of what to talk about. So I definitely do it with our media section, and I take all my stuff and put it in my phone and text it to myself to go, oh, I need to talk about X, Y, Z. So that's something I do. My style is more like, fuck it, I'll do it live. <laughs> I just put it on there so it remind, reminds me. Um, so first media section, uh, first thing to talk about, uh, I'll go first, of course. Uh, I watched another episode of Savage Builds. Um, okay. Uh, everybody knows uh, Adam Savage just builds shit and tests it out and tries to experiment with it and try to get it to work. Uh, this last week was um, him building cars for like Mad Max. And they were building Mad Max cars, and the object was each car had three targets. Uh, one on each side, uh, passenger and driver's side near the front, and then one on top of the car. And you had to figure out, you had to build your car so you could take out all three targets. And if you were the last person standing, you won. Um, it was interesting, the different techniques that they used, and they had all these different weapons. And in the middle of the build, the last day before the build, their entire shop got robbed. Um, Fucker. all their power tools, everything. And everybody knows about power tools. That shit's not cheap. No. Um, and it was like whoever they had building with them, it was all their stuff. Um, oh. Adam had like this tool thing that was there, but I mean, they, they showed it there. I'm sitting there watching the show comes back from commercial and they show this lock that's cut on the ground. And I'm like, why are they showing this lock cut on the ground? Uh, and then they go inside and all the power tools are gone. Someone had robbed their entire shop of all their stuff. And I was like, fuck. I mean, you don't, you don't, you hear about that and you know it happens, but you don't expect that for like TV shows and stuff because you think that, you know, it's just their TV show. That's not going to happen there. You know, they're special, blah, blah, blah. No, they had all their shit stolen. Um, so it was, it, it was kind of, it was kind of a, a little upsetting for them and it was kind of like a shocker for me. I'm like, okay, shit. Uh, yeah. Well, shit happens. Uh, but they made the best of it. They made their own things. Um, they built their own machines. Uh, one person used a um, skeet shooter as one of their weapons to hit targets on top. Adam had a um, baseball pitch machine uh, to shoot stuff. And they got together and they started um, fighting each other out for it. 
and it was pretty interesting. Uh, the people that had ammo lost all their ammo quite quickly. Um, and so it came down to pretty much a uh, crashing derby and hitting stuff. But the one person that won was a lady that had no shooting weapons. The weapons she had at the very top of her vehicle were like these maces on chains. And so she would drive and just make sure the maces hit the things on top. Um, but uh, it was it was pretty interesting. Uh, really cool. I like the show. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I like Adam Savage anyway. He's a pretty cool guy. So um, go watch it. Uh, no space therapies yet because, well, it's only like four episodes in. Just going to wait to the end of the season to give a complete and to see if it stays around, too, because that's another kicker. So, yeah, it always is. Even if it could be the best show ever, doesn't mean it's going to stay around. Correct. Hashtag Firefly. Hashtag Firefly. <laughs> uh, so, my first one is uh, I watched a movie this week. It's a movie from my childhood that I love very dearly. So, if you're expecting a measured and balanced review, uh, you can fuck right off. <laughs> uh, that is uh, The Black Hole. Oh, man. That's right. That is old school. Yeah. Maybe I own the collector's tin. Don't judge me. <laughs> I do own the collector's tin, in case you're wondering. In fact, I'm waiting to find a good Blu-ray copy of it. I'll buy that shit, too. <laughs> so The Black Hole is a 19, I want to say 79, sci-fi movie done by Disney. Uh, sort of trying to cash in on sort of the Star Wars feel, though honestly they... Pretty far afield from Star Wars, aside from it being science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, watching it this time, uh, I've been able to soar, sort of, uh, with my more uh, specific eye towards different things in a movie that I have nowadays, um, I'm able to more quantify the feelings I have for it. Now, I love this movie. So, get ready for it. I know Neil deGrasse Tyson says the science is shit. Yeah, I know the science is shit. It's science fiction. I don't fucking care. It's a very good mashup of multiple genres. Because the beginning is almost a suspense horror. And the middle is, you know, a little more quasi-political, you know, maybe a little more suspense. Still suspense. And then the end is sort of like an action disaster romp. And, I mean, I love it for it. Uh, in fact, I would say the only part the movie sort of really kind of falls down for is a bit at the end when they're boarding the probe ship to leave. And they had spacesuits because they're like, oh, we're getting spacesuits and all that because we're going to space. And then the spacesuits looked like ass, so they just didn't wear them, which was a good call. But, I mean, the action's cool. So the whole idea is they were following the crew of the Palomino which is a U, uh, United States uh, space exploration ship with uh, six crew members and a robot, or six crew members including the robot. Uh, and they come across a black hole, and sitting there on the edge of the black hole is a spaceship they eventually, eventually identify as the USS Cygnus, which is another early American ship that was reported missing. No one knows what happened to it. They go to investigate and eventually end up landing on the ship, uh, it's somehow it's just defying the black hole's gravity, which is like, what the hell's going on? And they get there. Uh, it gets a little suspenseful. They're disarmed by, uh, you know, remote lasers. This whole thing where they're going through this empty ship. Finally get to the bridge, and there's uh, a bunch of robots there. And uh, the big head robot, Maximilian, who you've all seen, big red robot floating with the sort of spinning claw arms. Mm-hmm. He's very cool. I love the robot design on this. He is super cool. I love Vincent, the design of that. 
and then they meet Dr. Hans Reinhardt, who's the commander of the mission, and he's a bit eccentric to start, obviously a genius as he designed all this stuff. And the whole thing goes on that he says his crew left, went back to Earth, and he doesn't know what happened to him. And it eventually comes out that he killed the crew, made the robots out of them, and he tries to keep some of them there. Uh, one of the members gets killed, and then gets taken to uh, get reprogrammed a robot. They go rescue her, but the reporter who's with them, played by Ernest Borgnine, ends up being a scumbag and tries to leave without them and gets killed. So they have to go to the probe ship to get off the ship. And it's just a bunch. The, the ending is a whole big, giant, you know, running, small running gunfights. And none of the action is super spectacular, but it's all very cool and kind of fun and enjoyable. Um, the suspense early on is great. It is very, very suspenseful. It's not quite like Aliens because you don't know what's going to happen, but it is. But it's very, very good suspense. Um, I do love it. I love the robot design. The cast is top notch. Um, you've got just to go with the big ones now. I'm going to name some you don't know. Banyan, I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to punch you. How many ice pirates is it? Fuck you. That's how many ice pirates. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the cast is I me. Mean, Anthony Perkins plays one of the scientists on the Palomino. Ernest Borgnine's the reporter who's on the on the Palomino. Uh, Robert Forrester, who you guys may or may not know, he's been in Quentin Tarantino movies, a bunch of other stuff. Yep. Uh, I followed his career because I just kind of like him. He plays a very he comes off a little emotionless, but he's more of a cool under fire captain of the ship. And uh, then uh, Maximilian Shell plays Doctor Reinhardt. Great. And then the two uh, they have two floating robots that are sort of the kidified robots so they're very cool and they have lasers so they're not super kidified uh vincent and old bob they are voiced by roddy mcdowell and slim pickens and it's great <laughs> oh yeah uh so i love this movie like i said the end sort of gets away from a little bit as it's not very sciencey at all <clears throat> but honestly it's not very sciencey at all for the whole thing it's a lot of vague it's it's closer to science fantasy masquerading science fiction than anything else but i do love the crap out of it um, if you're wondering, it's going to get... I, I'll give it one, Space Herpy. Um, because, again, that ending is a little weird. And also, the, the true ending of the movie, after the whole no spacesuit scene, um, is very 2001. Like, a lot of things fly by. You're not sure what you're seeing. Are they going to hell? What's going on? Because they're traveling through the black hole. That's their escape route, because that was whole all whole thing uh, Dr. Reinhardt wanted to do was to go through the black hole. <laughs> so, it's a little weird, a little 2001-y, but uh, I call it one Space Herpy. When it comes out on the new Disney thing, and I'm sure it will be, watch it for me. I hope you won't be disappointed. I love the fuck out of the movie. I've had it on videotape twice, DVD once, and I'm looking for a Blu-ray. <laughs> Like I said, I own the collector's tin. The soundtrack is top-notch by John Barry. It has some very good themes. And it's one of the last movies shown in a theater with a uh, overture at the beginning where it gives you sort of the overture theme music before the movie actually starts. So, there you go. One space repeat tentatively. I'd probably give it zero if you let me, but I think even <laughs> I can't give it zero. <laughs> All right, uh, my next one is I finished season two of Outlander. Um, everybody knows Outlander is about a woman that goes back in time, um, and starts, you know, being part of. Didn't know. 
You didn't know? You don't know what Outlander is? Outlander nope. is a show on stars where a woman goes back in time um, and pretty much Scottish Highlands and um, actually deals with a lot of history. She okay. interferes with a lot of battles in history, interferes with a lot of things. And she, this season, uh, season two, she jumps back into her normal timeline. And it's kind of like her retelling. Um, and you find out about what's going on and does some history stuff and, you know, goes through, you know, she actually has flashbacks because she's in, I believe it's World War Two. Well, I can't remember, World War One. I think is what it is. And, uh, I saw the first episode a long time ago, a friend of mine, and I was I visiting remember. her, and she had me watch it, but it was, hadn't World War Two just ended? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was about, it ended, but she, in this one, she kind of has flashbacks because she sees her family and friends that she's been with all the time getting ready to do war, and so she has flashbacks of when she was in the war. Um, and the parables that she's seen within each, you know, timeline about how people are getting ready and such. So, um, it, it was interesting. I, I can say I like it, but there was a very disconnect about what was going on. Um, they did flashbacks back and forth. Uh, it stays more in the past. Um, the last episode of the season, she goes back to her own timeline and it's about her own timeline where she has a daughter. Um, and she's a little bit older and you know that, um, you find out that of course the daughter was her husband back when she went back in time. Um, and so she's got to explain to her daughter why her father's not here, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting in that aspect at the end, they have to go back in time again. Uh, I know there's season three is out there and season four is out there. I'm just not going to pay for it. I'll wait till it comes out on Netflix. Um, if you like medieval stuff uh, with a little bit of, you know, science fiction in it, it's not bad. It's it's a decent. The characters are good. The characters are solid. Um, there's a little bit of disbelief with her because she knows science stuff. Like, uh, she'll be sitting there and she's like, oh, I know this is called diabetes, but they didn't call it diabetes back then. What did they call it? Oh, sugar sickness. And it, it just kind of breaks the, you know, it just doesn't fit right if you know what i'm saying um costumes and everything great wonderful um uh, there's a lot of they go to uh they go to france in this one um so there's a lot of like culture shocks between all the different you know people but i mean overall it was pretty decent i would give it m at the most two space therapies but i would go about a one um in my personal belief because i like it but it there was just something off about this season. The flashbacks and the going back and forth kind of ruined it a bit too much for me, but it wasn't bad. Um, so uh, I still recommend it. I'm going to watch season three and four, see how it goes. I think we're having one more season and it's over. Um, so I liked it. It's okay. Um, I see that uh, Lee Jenner says his girlfriend loves Highlander. I, it is. There is a lot of romance and a lot of stuff like that that does appeal a lot more Erica that listens, uh, she really likes Highlander and thinks it's awesome too. Um, it does appeal uh, towards that audience a lot more. You can tell that they're building it towards that, which is, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but there was just something off about this season compared to season one. Because I really, really liked season one. Um, I only have one more. John, what do you have? Nothing? Uh, I have a book. 
Yeah, oh, that's right. You have your book. You're doing your uh, reading streak. Reading streak, yes, because I've not been reading enough. So I am 10 days in and still in. I'm on my second book. But the first book is actually an old Battletech novel uh, called uh, Warrior and Guard, which is the first of the Warrior trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the early books written by Michael Stackpole. Um, and I've not reread these in a very, very long time. The book is from 1988, and I don't think I've reread it, I mean, since maybe the early 90s. So it's been a while. Um, and uh, I mentioned I liked it, but I kind of felt it went a little quick and it was a little scattershot at points. Um, it feels like a Stackpole book, but it definitely feels like an early Stackpole book. Um, definitely enjoyable. I love Michael Stackpole's work. I mean, rarely does he write a book I don't enjoy. Um, and it's uh, one of the early battle texts and probably one of the early ones that sort of set the style they were going to do uh, in the future, which is sort of that whole political intrigue with battling and all. Um, it's sort of the, I guess it is the fifth book they made overall. Uh, they had the three Grey Death Legion books, which I've read in the past, but I don't remember them very much, so they could not have been amazing. And then one called The Sword and the Dagger, which I have not read, which I will look into, which sort of sets the stages. They sort of cover the outcome of that in uh, Warrior on Guard. Um, but uh, it basically tells a story. Uh, it's a story of two brothers that are sort of uh, separated already, and then one of them, uh, well... They say he betrayed his uh, his his country, but he did not. Uh, it's a lot more political, political intrigue than that. One of the guys on my Facebook page um, called it Game of Thrones Galaxy Edition, to which <laughs> I replied, since it's 1988, don't you think it's more like that is uh, that Game of Thrones is more like Battletech Fantasy Edition? Uh-huh. But if you like political intrigue and all, the first book is... Starting off that, it's a little less of that in this book. It's a little set in the stage. Again, like I said, it's a little scattershot at point. They have locations, so you can sort of keep up with who's going through. Uh, and, you know, what, what characters are going to be involved, because you can tell by the location they're in. And they have a date, so you can keep track of also, which is sort of starting the way off that uh, Stackpole likes to do his books. But uh, I very much enjoyed it. I started the second one uh, yesterday. Well, actually, the day before, but I only read, like, the prologue. I really started the second one yesterday, and I'm really enjoying that. I give the book, uh, I'm going to give it maybe like one and a half space therapies, because like I said, it is a little scattershot of points. It's a little old. It's obviously early writing by him, but uh, so far the second one's really hitting his stride and really getting to be what I remember from him. But again, nostalgia, and I do love me a Michael Stackpole book. I had a ton, and uh, he's, uh, he's a really good writer. He's wrote some of my favorite books. Maybe many of my favorite books, since he wrote the X-Wing series, too. <laughs> half of it. Um, Legionnaire also said that uh, Outlander is on Amazon Prime. Yeah, it is. I checked Amazon Prime, and you can't watch season three and four unless you buy it or rent it. So yet, uh, that I checked, so I haven't been able to watch those extra seasons. So I'm kind of annoyed at that. Um, my last one is because it came out on Netflix, and you got to relive awesome when you can find awesome. And that is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It is now on Netflix. And I was like, fuck yeah. I'm going to watch it again. Um, And kind of immerse it into it. And kind of look at it from a different viewpoint and whatever. Um, It's very interesting to go and watch it again. It's still a great. I'm still going to give it zero space RPs. Big surprise. But when you watch it, when I watched it this time, I was more aware of all the art to it. Mm -hmm. Um 
all the different ways they did things. Like when Miles was learning to swing, he was animated differently. And then when he started to, when he was able to do it proficiently, they animated him differently. Uh, yeah. And frame-wise, he was done it's differently too. Uh, really, as part of the, so groundbreaking, isn't it? Well, what what I think was what really could about everything is the art style of stuff was so. I want to know whoever said, "Hey guys, we're gonna make Into the Spider Verse." I'm like, "Okay, cool, we're gonna animate it. We can do all this really cool stuff." And then, you know, we do all stuff, and then this guy goes, "Why don't we animate it like a comic book?" And do the little dots, you know, like it was a comic book, and do the shading like it was a comic and book. Then, but they also, like you said, they changed the style a little bit based on sometimes the character, sometimes what they're doing. It's it's really cool. Yeah, it's 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 a game changer as far as animated theatrical releasing of uh, of superhero stuff. DC, yeah. who's formerly been the master of this, has got to step up and take notice. Oh yeah, uh, I'm sure that after this was done. Um, that the company that made it should be super fucking proud, um, and I'm sure they got a lot more work out of this too because award, rightfully, it, it artistically, uh, music, uh, characters, everything. I want another Into the Spider Verse. I want another Miles Morales Spider Man done in that style. I uh, want I a Miles. They're planning on it actually. Yeah. Last I heard, they were planning on a sequel. I want a Miles Morales Spider-Man. It doesn't have to be into the Spider-Verse. It could be, you know, Miles and uh, Spider-Gwen. I'd be super happy about it. It could be just be Miles and I would be happy because Miles is one of my all-time favorite alternate Spider-Men. Um, I love his character. I love the way he is. I love his costume. Um, you name it. Um, I, I, I can't wait for I, I like all the characters. I mean, yeah. the, uh, the fat Peter Parker is really awesome. Oh, uh, I found someone I could finally cosplay. Peter B. Yeah. Parker. <laughs> He's it's really cool. Yeah. Um, all the characters are really good. Uh, artwork was really good. Um, Stanley's scene choked me up again. Uh, um, it, it is it is time. such a good scene and the way and you know having him voice it and having him say that stuff. Uh, it, it just hit home again. I was like, "Fuck you, Marvel. Fuck you." But I mean, it, it was poignant. It was great. Um, Peter Parker, Spider Man, the original that's on there with the blonde hair, dying is like, well, shit. You know, you're, you know, it's, it's, you don't see superheroes die and stay dead, per se. And yeah. in this one, they're like, no, he's fucking dead, dude. <laughs> and the other cool thing they do with this is it is, Miles' story is still the classic Spider Man story, but they do it so well, you don't realize. It's the same story. Correct. He's still got his parents, so you don't think of it the same way, but he still loses his uncle yep. in a very similar way. And you're like, oh, shit. It's just really, really fucking well done. Like, it's great. Yeah, it, it, it's it's up to what uh, we should expect from a Spider-Man movie. Uh, Story-wise, character-wise, everything about it is 100% wonderful. Uh, Zero Space RPs again. Um, I own it on digital. I own it on Blu-ray. Um, I 100% one of my top five movies of all time. Can't say anything negative about it. I know we're I over mean, a little bit, but this is a great movie. So, um, so they have uh, they have a sequel coming, and they have a spinoff coming, and they're looking at a TV series. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to the sequel because the first one was amazing. Um, guys, it is the end of the podcast. We want to thank everybody that showed up and uh, came and watched. We appreciate everybody. 
If you uh, watch us on YouTube, um, yes, I did get the uh, bonus scene at the end, um, which was even cooler. Um, there is a scene at the very, very end that you have to catch up and see. Um, but guys, we really appreciate everybody that listens, whether you listen to us on Twitch, Facebook, um, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever. We really appreciate it. Um, everything that that happens here is, you know, we do this for a lot of fun. We do this because we all like hanging out and we hope that you do too. Um, uh, for that, next week, I will not be here. John will not be here. We will be uh, looking for a co-host, and I think I have one. (laughs) Eating sushi. We're replacing you. (laughs) We're replacing you for the weekend. That's Um, fine. I'm eating sushi. Oh, just for the weekend? With the my old roommate. It's her her annual birthday get-together, and uh, we'll be going down to a very nice sushi place and taking it the fuck over. Because they won't take reservations, so we'll show up with like 30 people like, come on, see this now, motherfucker. (laughs) So, guys, uh, thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you later. Don't forget, Kathy will be streaming Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, Except for Thursday because it's the 4th of July. I was reminded by one of people in my chat. Monday through Wednesday on Facebook with Mojave Streak. So, for More Than Dice, I'm Gonzo. I'm John. I'm Kathy. Good night. Didn't think you'd sneak away before me, did you, Kathy? Happy birthday, America. No, it's not. I only got to work three days and I have a day off, maybe multiples, if I can get everything done in time. And then I have I'm the Monday be off. I'm going to be eating hot dogs. <laughs>